Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Carter comes up shooting. Got it! 1.2 seconds to go! Vince Carter, you are amazing! Give it to me! A little baby black! Gabbage out of here! Welcome to Toronto Sport Matters, podcast number 36. With me, as always, is Christian Wolfgang Graffin. Unfortunately, Greg Yershot has had to deal with uh, something that's been a pain in his ass for a while, so unfortunately he won't be in the show today. But joining us again is the return of Javon Bigard. Javon, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, it's always fun to come and talk Raptors with you guys. Absolutely. He's like our sixth man. Sit. Man. Call me the Raptors bench. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so coming to the uh, the podcast booth today, I was planning to get my hair cut. I went to this place at like Young and Shepherd, and I went in, and it's like this old school like sort of like men's barber shop. And I went in, they washed my hair, I sat down, and they told me that I couldn't get the haircut I specified. I had a photo of one of my old haircuts, and they were like, no, we can't do that. There was like a list, like a picture list of like the haircuts they do yes and like they're all very like um how can i put like richard spencer ish like the haircut of like the far alt-right and i was like <laughs> not really down with that sort of look so they washed my hair and i just told them like i, I I'm, I'm not doing this today so i basically walked out and tried to find another place to get my haircut but did you, get, did you pay for the hair washing you know what no and i couldn't really figure <laughs> this out so I, I i gave him five bucks because the guy was adamant about not taking money i didn't i didn't know five bucks is enough Kind of for sketchy. a hair wash, I think that's appropriate. Is that the going rate? Like, I don't know how much a, 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 go, a hair wash is. Javon, do you have any insight into this? No, when I go to the barber, you know, it's a cut and shave, cut and shave. <laughs> cut, and, cut and shave? You mean multiply that. Shave, that's man. like 50 bucks an hour with the time it takes to do one, I think. All right, so. besides, yeah, besides the haircut fiasco, the Toronto Raptors are the number one team in the Eastern Conference, currently two games ahead of the Boston Celtics, third best team in the NBA. A very interesting week for Raptors. Four wins in a row, beating the New York Knicks, the Charlotte Hornets, the Miami Heat, and last night, the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the first thing I want to kind of discuss, um, you know, the Raptors have finally gotten over their, like, Chicago Bulls regular season malaise, if you will call it. Yes. Um, you know, beating uh, the Windy City's finest last night. But the Raptors were also victorious Tuesday night, beating the Eastern Conference 8th seed Miami Heat. However, in that game, the team gave up a staggering 17-point lead in the fourth quarter. That game, in combination with our sketchy history of not only struggling to close out games, but closing out the season. Graffin, do you feel any sense of looming fear that regardless of regular season success, we're walking into another early playoff dismissal? 
No, I don't think we're walking into a playoff. To, again, look, look, the Raptors are way different this year than any other year in the past. They're, they're, first of all, their bench is deeper than any bench, I believe, in the NBA. They have starters who have been basically saving all their minutes this entire season. You see Lowry and DeRozan are going to come out fresh for the first time in the playoffs. No, I think everything, I don't think there's anything that can stop the Raptors right now. If, if anything, there's a few people that play really well against us. We just have to do a good job, and this is more on Dwayne Casey, I think, than the mm-hmm. players, of making a good game plan. Plan, limiting those players like the you know the Drogic pl- type players on the other teams and, and go from there because right now there's no team that truly scares me even though you see teams like the Pacers the Heat the 76ers down there I guess if there's anyone I wouldn't want to face to be the 76ers I think the big narrative of the season obviously the Toronto Raptors is you know the evolution of their offensive play you know space in the floor positional basketball we've talked about this ad nauseum in the last couple of podcasts but you know this is a different team this team is drastically different the last few seasons and you know teams like the Miami Heat and Bulls and teams we've typically struggled against have to readjust their defensive schematics to deal with this new iteration of the team. Um, Javon, where are you at with this? Do you think the Raptors are potentially looking at an NBA Finals this year, or do you see a cause for concern entering the playoffs? Hey, man. You know, I called it a few months ago. I said the Raptors are the best team in the East, and everyone was saying, well, Cleveland, Boston, are the Raptors better than them? In the back of my head, I'm thinking, are these teams better than the Raptors? And I think when we come to this point in the season, you know, it's all the uh, hard work and everything that the Raptors have tried to do since the end of last season has all come into fruition. And it's being showcased. They're, mm-hmm. second, they're first in the East right now, um, third in the NBA. Um, they have a two-game two lead in the East. And I think that ultimately... Um, the Raptors are the team to beat. So. It's, inter- it's interesting. Like our consistency throughout the season is what defines us. You know, the Boston Celtics are in a tailspin. Three losses in a row, five to five in the last ten. Cleveland Cavaliers are obviously surging with the new acquisitions. They got the deadline. Currently seven and three in their last ten with a four-game win streak. The Raptors have kind of kept the ship afloat all season. You know, we're talking about last couple seasons. You know, the team kind of flounders in the January February months. It's incredible to see them to keep the like keep up the pace they're, uh, they're at right now. You kind of mentioned this, Christian, earlier. The Philadelphia 76ers are the team that kind of scare you um, come playoff time. Are there any other teams out there that sort of scare the bejesus out of you? You know, um, you know, as of yesterday, you know, two and a half points separate the fourth and eighth seeded team in the Eastern Conference. Stylistically, who do you want the Raptors to play? And on the flip side, you know, you said the 76ers, but Javon, like, what is that one team that absolutely terrifies you come playoff time? Um, well, for me, personally, I'd, I'd go with Miami. Um, just looking at that game yesterday, uh, or two nights ago, uh, you know, it, it really raised a few eyebrows. I thought, uh, you know, Goran Dragic, his ability to get in the paint, uh, cause havoc, um, con- collapse the defense and kick it out to shooters on the perimeter. You know, the Raptors have to find a way to stop him, um, not let him get into a rhythm, especially in the second half, um, because, you know, it's not the first time where it's been a close game between the Raptors and Miami and, you know, it's come down to a buzzer beater or uh, the final shot of the game. So definitely Miami is a team that I would be scared of uh, heading into the playoffs, especially for the first round. Uh, you know, that would be something that um, I think the Raptors, uh, their personnel, the players have it in them. But like what Christian said, you know, Dwayne Casey is going to have to drop a, a pretty good game plan to be able to counter uh, act exactly what he had. So 
Christian, quick question for you. Uh, I sort of mentioned that the fourth and eighth seeded teams are separated by two and a half games. We're looking at the Washington Wizards, Milwaukee Bucks, Indiana Pacers, 76ers, Miami Heat, and the newly improved Detroit Pistons. Is it fair for me to say that the Washington Wizards at this conjecture of the season are the team that doesn't terrify me the most comparatively to other teams on that I, list? It's weird, but I've never truly been terrified of the Wizards. I hate to say it. Like, the Wizards have... They've never been a team that's really scared me with the Raptors, like in terms of matchups. I know they have obviously, you know, Bradley Beal and John Wall. I like our duo better, and then I like our bench better, and I love our big man's better. Like, there's, <laughs> there's nothing really I, I see with Washington with a healthy John Wall. I mean, I guess the only thing I can point to is the game where we lost this year when he wasn't playing. But mm-hmm. uh, that's one of those one-offs where the Raptors were, you know, still trying to find their rhythm. I think that was before that one Boston game where they decided to, you know, crank it up in the season in November. Mm-hmm. So, no, I mean, if there is a team, it would be kind of Milwaukee, I would say, because like you mentioned, there's only three games or four games separating all these teams. Who knows where they can finish at the end of the season? All it takes is, you know, a three-game losing streak and you're fifth to eighth. Mm-hmm. So Milwaukee, because of their length simply because they're length on defense. I mean, I know we beat them in the past in the playoffs, but every single year the Greek freak gets older, he gets better. Yeah. And this year is an MVP caliber, probably a top three voting MVP well, season made the league, for him. right, for sure. 100%. So if, if there's a team, I guess it would be them, because also the addition of Bledsoe. Yeah. They've had enough time to actually put that together. I'm not – I mean, Cleveland, I just don't see the chemistry. I know we're going to mention them later, but if I had to mention one team, I guess it would be the Bucks. The Bucks. I, you know what, like, I don't think this would be my team necessarily, but I don't think you can, you know, like, throw the Pistons out of discussion. You know, I think they we look destroy fantastic. The huh? I think we destroy the Pistons. I know, I know, I know. Just, like, the on-paper team, you know, Andre Drummond has been, like, a monster rebounder since the acquisition of Blake Griffin. Obviously, they have Blake Griffin as well. Reggie Bullock's mm-hmm. look fantastic. Ish Smith has played incredible basketball when Blake Griffin's been on the team as well. And they're also probably going to get Reggie Jackson back relatively soon. So that's another team that does cause some concern for the Toronto Who, who would you rather face, the 76ers, the Heat, or the Pistons? Um, who would I rather face? Yeah, in the first round for the Raptors. Oh, man. Probably the Philadelphia 76ers. Over the Pistons, really? Yeah. But yeah. hold on. The Philadelphia 76ers, they're going to have Embiid in the playoffs. And that's, yeah, that's, no, a, that's know, a different team. I know, I know. Like, if we're looking at, like, like no back to back games, right? Who is the most, oh, like, even you know, playoffs? who has the most skill? Obviously, the 76ers, but, you know, they're a relatively young team. They're green as an organization. This is their first year back in the playoffs in quite a while. Um, and they also are bereft of a point guard. Like, I know Ben Simmons is their point forward. They just don't really have, like, that, like, fifth guy they can put on their court and their starting five. You Markel really Fultz, baby. He's going to come back <laughs> for the playoffs. His, uh, did you see his video today? No. He's, his shot looks substantially better. Well, and, it, and, and, it really couldn't look anywhere. You know, that's what I was trying to get at. Um, so you might see Markel Fultz back in the playoffs. Who knows? No, 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 no. But, um, but no, the no. team that scares me most is obviously Miami Heat. Just Eric Spolstra, um, just time in and time in, time out, like every single season, just, yeah. you know, taking a very basic product and just making it like like last season was incredible like yeah. that team realistically shouldn't have been a playoff contender but you know they they almost just got in up until yeah. last if there's a season. coach of the year for the east i think it's between dwayne casey brad stevens and spolster no for sure Nate mcmillan's up in discussion but well. dwayne casey's gonna win it yeah no for sure all righty guys so we've man. had this discussion a few weeks back but i want to chat about the team's rotation the rapids rotation especially coming in the playoffs like do you guys honestly think og will be a starter come game one well guys like norman powell carve a spot in the rotation and how do you see the bench minutes staggered come playoff time you know we're running at 11 man rotation right now typically you know teams 
trim the rotation come playoff time. Yeah. I think Casey's realistically going to be putting out 11 guys on the court every single night in the playoffs. I think when it comes to other teams, they trim the rotation. Well, they use the extra guys during the season to give their main guys uh, a breather. To give, uh, so I don't want to say it, but um, the guy, when a good team is, is winning by huge, um, they usually give the minutes in the fourth quarter to the other uh the guys deeper on the bench, mm-hmm. garbage minutes or whatever. Right. Um, with the Raptors, you find that when the starters are playing bad, the bench comes in and gives the Raptors that lift. And this has been a consistent theme throughout the entire season. Well, we see it especially last night at the front court on the bench. Like Siakam played a tremendous game. Oh, Sia- Siakam is head and, head and shoulders better than the, what he was last year like, in every like, facet of the game. He kind of like I think of Siakam as like the weakest link on the bench. And if Siakam's your weakest link, then obviously the team is in you know a very good situation. Like a yeah. playing uh, you, like as opposed to like. Like Malachi Richardson for his yeah, like the one through eleven, the guys who actually yeah. play. Because like I, it's funny, we had thir- a guy against the Hornets. I think we had thirteen play. We had guys who had thirteen players who played minutes that night. That's crazy. And you look down the list, and I mean, let's just go back to a, a better game, I guess, or a game that was more close with with Miami. OG only ended up with thirteen minutes yeah. that night, right? So like he starts, he doesn't finish. He basically comes in just to get the experience, from what I see. And I kind of been, I've been saying this all season. I, I personally would kind of like to see CJ Miles there because it seems like it just seems like every single time OG's on the court with the starting unit, his role basically is to stand in the corner and shoot threes. Ten points per eighteen minutes played for CJ Miles as well. Which you know what? Yeah, so if you're and again, CJ's kind of uh, kind of struggling a bit. He, he kind of has up and down games recently. He's had great games and all of a sudden. If there's anything I think you have to do for the playoffs specifically is you kind of have to get C.J. Miles some reps in that starting unit and just start to at least test it out and see if it's going to work. Because if there is a better unit for starting in the playoffs, you want to go with the best thing you have possible. Yeah, the yeah. Raptors are in first right now by two games. It's it, You might as well start seeing – it doesn't have to be starting the game, but maybe starting the second cor- the second half, something like that. I'd like to see something different because, yeah, I go back to your original question. I could see Norman Powell not getting a lot of minutes. I could see – Honestly, I think Norman Paul's going to get DNPs, to be honest with you. I, I, exactly. I, the way I hate it looks to, right I now. I hate to say it. Yeah. Uh, him, Bebe, uh, and OG's probably going to hover around the 15-minute well, like, mark. Going back into our depth, like, what makes this team so unique is that the goal for the Eastern Conference is to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, to take out LeBron James, <laughs> and just having the capability to have so many bodies. You know, so many switchy, you know, like big physical guys that can guard LeBron. You know, I'm talking about OG Ananobi and Siakam and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like guys who have the speed and the size to kind of contain LeBron to a I certain degree. I think that's about it, though. OG and like, who you mentioned. Like who else? Is, like, you're not going to put Serge Ibaka on him. Yeah, again. absolutely. The thing is, spin the ball in space and, sh- and shoot it at three again. Well, like we'll I wouldn't put Serge <laughs> on LeBron. That's why we like got Like the thing OG. is, if, if they were to run a situation where um, – the guy who Serge is guarding, let's say Tristan Thompson, um, did a screen and roll with uh, uh, LeBron James, and then that switch happened where Serge Ibaka was to play against LeBron James. I feel like you know he won't have the ability to you know uh, pre- press him on defense, but I think he has the ability to contain him. So if LeBron James wants to take a step back three pointer, by all means take that. I'll live with that shot. But if he's going to drive to the paint, I feel like Serge Ibaka has a good ability to stay in front of him and even if he does get by he'll have the ability to do a second contest and possibly affect the shot from behind just because of his length like it's LeBron James we're talking about you know what I mean like no one's gonna guard LeBron James I think <laughs> no. it's just a matter like you mentioned before containing him just containing just exactly got guys who can kind of agitate him and fill that sort of like pesky not let him be able to get into a rhythm exactly. or a flow I just think the bench is gonna f- force minutes 
for Dwayne Casey. They're going to force Dwayne Casey to play them. Exactly. Because there's going to be times in the playoffs where the starting unit, like we've seen all season long, all season. is gets a little bit slow. And yep. the ball doesn't move. And all of a sudden, DeMar starts going for basically just getting foul, getting to the foul line. Yep. Like, you start to see it. And that's usually when the rotations come in. I think we're going to be almost forced to do it just simply because of the fact that, you know, the second unit is just so different than the first unit. They, they're they the energizers. Exactly. Right? They're Energizer the ones bunnies. that almost – I could only imagine a Raptors practice. Yeah. They, they must be actually pushing this, this starting unit. In, I remember practice, I was watching I one game and uh, – I think Matt Devlin asked Leo, he's like, uh, so who would win five on five between uh, the Raptors starters and the bench? Right. And Leo Rollins was like, oh, don't go that far. The Raptors bench would get, like, they would beat them easily. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, no way. Like, these guys bring way too much energy, way too much effort. Like, these guys... They have just as much chemistry, too, because they played D-League championships oh, together. Yep. Like, Siakam and Pirtle have great chemistry with yep, Van Vliet. Yep. Like, it's kind of funny in the sense that, like, there was a lot of speculation that Vince Carter might come back and play for the Toronto Raptors at some point. But obviously, we don't have space to bring him in. Another former Raptor was uh, on first take talking about potentially returning to Toronto. Who is that? Chris Bosh. No. We'll listen to a little clip right here, guys. <laughs> Dream scenario, B. Yeah, that's the A question. winning situation. Okay. You know, Any of the top six in the NBA, basically. Yeah, I mean top three. Top three. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your top three? Man, I would. Uh, Who's I would the top three? Right now, obviously, Golden uh, Houston, State. Houston, Golden Houston. State. Uh, man, Toronto's playing well right now. You got to put them in the uh-huh. top three. You would go to Toronto? You'd go back to Toronto? I didn't say that. You asked me who my top three. Well, you said top three. When I said, said top it. six, you said top three, which means that you consider one of the top three. We're talking about top three. So Christian, Chris Bosh. Black playing for the Toronto Raptors? Is that going to happen? Is there I any? <laughs> certainly would like to see that happen more than Vince coming back. I'll tell you that much. I mean, think think of the way Chris Bosh played when he played. You heard it or the beginning of that interview. He was basically saying his game was shoot a lot exactly. and play a little bit of defense, a which is bit. the way that the NBA has sort of turned ever since he's left. And I don't know how old. I think he's like 31 or something. He'd still be. No, same age as LeBron, 2003, so 34. 34. Okay, so he's. 34, wow. So I guess he'd be a good playoff piece. I mean, one thing he was going to say before, though, is he actually wants he wants to to come back this year. And that's the, that's the crazy part, is that he didn't even, they, they asked him earlier in the interview, do you want to come back, you know, next year? What are you targeting? And he was saying, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, players can buy me until March. I mean, when you look at his injury, like, it was nothing to do with his body. Like, right. it was actually like his health, like his heart, or he had, what was it, uh, blood clots in his heart blood or something? Blood clots, yeah. His legs, clots. his legs. And his legs, exactly. So, like, when you look at, like, the injury that took him out of the game, like, it was nothing basketball-related. Yeah, but the problem is, like, Miami, like, had to make the very tough decision to let go of Chris Bosh, you know what I mean? Especially paying heed to his future, to his health beyond the basketball court. And, like, what will the Raptors look like, or any team in general look like, if they're going to bring in a guy like Chris Bosh, like, sacrificing his own long-term health for the betterment of the team in the immediate? The Raptors don't need him. Yeah. I think that if the Raptors were to sign him, well, first of all, the Raptors would never sign him. I don't think they would because ultimately they have too much confidence in their starters and what the bench has done so far this season. Oh, with the old and with the new, baby. Let's go. Pretty much negates a Chris Barr <laughs> signing. Um, you know, Although, and what about Bebe? Like, he basically would end up replacing those small minutes Bebe gets. However, if he plays well, he could slot himself into it. 
But you could tell just the way Chris Bosch was talking, he's not coming in to play baby minutes. And we also need that. Baby minutes. That, that was my next question. Neither the aggression off the bench, the old face tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my question. What do you think his expectations well, are in terms of playing? Is going to get a face tattoo? Mm, well, you never you know. Could. We will sign you only if you get a couple of face tattoos. Right? Do you think he's actually OVO expecting the right to arm. play 20 minutes a night, like right away? I don't think so. First of all, his conditioning is probably shit. Yeah. He's going to have to bring that up to speed, I would assume. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can just bring him in and then again playoff basketball is a month and a half away like it's it's not like he's just gonna go from three years or two years not playing and all of a sudden just be ready to roll exactly all right moving down to nba discussion after a hectic last thursday afternoon the nba tread deadline has come and gone however the nba has faced a slight upheaval Specifically, improved play of the Afrim or the uh, sorry the Utah Jazz in perennial Eastern Conference powerhouse Cleveland Cavaliers. Guys like George Hill is a prime example of a change of scenery can improve the overall play of a player. Additionally, players on specific organizations throughout the league who prior to deadline were relegated to the bench have reaped the benefits of a roster change. Specifically, guys like you know Reggie Bullock on the Pistons, you know Joe Ingles on the Utah Jazz. We've also te- seen teams take flyers on failed lottery picks like Alfred Payton and Emmanuel Mudiay. In your opinion, guys, whose stock has risen the most post-deadline? And that could be a guy who got traded or a guy who's getting more playing time because of a trade. Graffin, I'm going to throw it to you, buddy. I mean, I guess we're not counting. No, you know what? I, I would say probably, if anything, it would be George Hill. He was just in such a dead-end position. Mm-hmm. And he's such a Again, if we go and rewind to podcast number eight or something like that, he was a free agent this offseason, and he's one person I wanted the Raptors to target to be the backup to uh, to Kyle Lauer because he's just that vet that has that presence, and he was trapped in Sacramento's jail for some weird reason why they wanted to get him. I have no idea, and to give him all that well, money. We, we know why they tried to get him. You but, know, Mills was on the team. He was a GM, and then he flipped over the Knicks. Mills promised Hill but it's and a lot of money. he was going to build a contender. It was the money I didn't 20, understand. 20, 19, and 18 over the next three. Yeah, so, you know, you want to give George Hill $60 million dollars when he's, you know, not, he's, he's on the other side of 30 years old. Yeah. And basically, I think he went from, I think his opportunities have gone through the roof. Basically, he's had the best opportunity, I guess, to sort of now go to a playoff contender that's actually doing very, very well. And it's it's sort of the exact opposite, I would say, of Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Like, Isaiah Thomas was obviously, he, he almost couldn't have gone any further down in mm-hmm. Cleveland because of just the attitude issues off the court plus the way he was playing. Yeah. So, yeah, you can argue that it's better, but at the same time, L.A. is not re-signing Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> and that everyone's going to remember what he was like in Cleveland. Yeah. So they know that if he's not the man on a team, he's going to be a sort of a whiny baby about yep. it. Yep. And it, it, if anything, I'd say he's the exact opposite of this question. and He's, he's the one whose stocks drop the most. My guy is J.R. Smith. And just like... The, the way the Cavaliers were constructed, you had these like heavy ISO point guards and Derrick Rose and Isaiah Thomas, and then you had you know, Dwayne Wade, who you know doesn't you know, he's another ISO guy that doesn't really move the needle as well when it comes to fluidity of ball movement. And J.R. Smith obviously struggled most of the season getting that open look he's kind of grown accustomed to the last couple seasons. You know, you look at his January numbers, the guy shot 37% from the field, 31% from three point. We're looking at a small sample size of what, six, seven games so far since the trade or since the new year. But this month alone, the guy shooting 54% from the field and shooting 55% from the three point line, you've seen the last couple games just more ball movement. You know what I mean? He's can chill in the perimeter on like one-on-one like he just he's getting those open looks 
And he's a guy the Cavaliers desperately need come playoff time. You know what it is, too, right? You know what? Look, all those players came from California. They just brought a little bit of the California weed with them. <laughs> Jazz Smith, cabbage, the devil's lettuce. J.R. Smith's good for the rest of the year. <laughs> you know what? You know what? J.R. Smith's an emotional guy. Like, he lets everything ride on his sleeve, and you see it. And I felt like, you know, when Cleveland brought in all these superstars, uh, Derrick Rose, especially Dwayne Wade, and then the other caliber players they have. superstar very loosely. Former superstars, we'll keep it at that. Um, you know, I felt like he took it to heart. Like, he wasn't a professional about it, and he let it affect his game. And you've seen, he was starting shooting guard. Well, he didn't, uh, when he started, he was, uh, when the season started, he was coming off the bench. Didn't like that. And then Don't when go. he did come in the starting, starting lineup, um, there was numerous games where he was a starting shooting guard for that game, and he would have zero points. And everyone would say, oh, Jarrah Smith, you can't... W- expect to win games when the starting shooting guard has zero points in the last three contests or the last two contests. And I just feel like, you know, as soon as they shipped out all these guys or got rid of them, cleansed the lineup pretty mm-hmm. much, uh, J.R. Smith was like, oh, yes, I got my best friend back. Like, is he, if he's your, like, third yep. best guy in the court, you're not in a good situation. But when J.R. Smith is, like, the fifth best guy on the team, that's when he excels, you know what I mean? When but you know what? Like, J.R. Smith has the ability to be the second best guy. Like he could turn it up a notch if the situation and the the He's different not being metrics. On as being, you know, exactly. Yeah. Like if there's like some hopeless situation and they're like, oh, we'll just give the ball to J.R. Smith. Oh yeah, he's gonna fade away in the corner and hit a jump shot from the three point line above the backboard. Of course he's going to do that. They rely on him so much. Right? Yeah. Like if he's not playing well and Corver's not playing well in terms of like shooting, who's their shooters? Like it's it's tough, right? Like they beat when they beat the Thunder, for instance. He had 18 points. He was their second highest scorer that game. Yeah. So you know, it kind of says something. In fact, that he is a very big contributor now. And you know what? I would guess that that's either his season high or close to it. Probably. Yeah. Let's well, go back to the Cavs trade. I'm just kind of confused. Like why? Like why did the Cavs include their own first rounder in the trade to bring in Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson? Like I just but not Brooklyn's. I don't understand. No, I'm. Just, I just don't like. You look at the landscape in the. They name, didn't want how, just Isaiah Thomas. I don't think that's why. I don't know. They want future. Well, they, I think with the they, Lakers, it was the idea of getting Isaiah Thomas on a one-year contract expiring after the season and letting go Jordan Clarkson, who had like two years and twenty-six million dollars left in the contract. The trade was facilitated purely to open up cap space to go into next season and be able to bring in guys like obviously Paul George and LeBron James. I just found it kind of confusing that the goal for the team was to offload the Clarkson contract come trade deadline, but they demanded a first from Cleveland. Because to well, me, I think that it, Cleveland was the one who was almost starting off the negotiations by saying we want to get rid of Isaiah Thomas, mm-hmm. let's exactly. trade together. And when you start off like that, you know, it almost falls into your lap. Yeah. That you, Everybody knew, yeah, put it this if, way. If Tyreek's not going for a first rounder, I just find it confusing that Cleveland was so, I wouldn't say adamant, but like was so willing to throw in the first round. I mean, I guess, I mean, for me, it's just the fact that Cleveland at that point, everybody just, every other GM knew that they were sellers. Yeah. When right? I look, So when that happens, how are you going like, to? Well, like, what would you rather have? Like, would you rather have Avery Bradley or Jordan Clarkson or Larry Nance? Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, I feel like they could have gotten Avery Bradley with the Cavaliers' first round pick. But again, that's we can't assume that. Like, I don't, I don't. I guess that's the question. But I don't really know if like, they would have got. If like they would have had someone like that. This trade makes more sense as an like emergency sort of like worst case scenario. The LeBron leaves. At least we have like a young sort of like combo guard off the bench. And George they're really Clarkson, thinking like that. And like a really good young energetic center in Larry Nance. Not really having you know. I wouldn't say over Avery Bradley's mm-hmm. old, but I think his contract expiring after the season as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. Put, I don't know. Put it this way. The pick's going to be like, what, a 25th pick in this year's draft? Like, it's not 
a lottery. You know what I mean? It's not like it's going to be that big of a deal. They're keeping the Brooklyn pick, which exactly. kind of highlights the fact I just that they want to I think stay. it's the value of a first-rounder within the sense that, like, the sense of salary cap sort of stagnated this year, and obviously so many teams throw up those, like, insane contracts, and people are just, you know, counting their pennies are so close to the cap, and just getting that, like, late first-round guy who could potentially be a rotation guy, like the Raptors of OG and Anobi, you can't disclude that in the conversation. Maybe. Right? I think uh, when it comes to that, um, that pick made the trade even. I think the trade would have been lopsided if it wasn't for that pick because Isaiah Thomas' stock has clearly decreased. Um, Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson are young players, um, not even in the prime of their careers, and you're trading them away. So I think with Cleveland, um, obviously they wanted the youth, um, but they didn't want youth that was a draft pick. They wanted youth that was, these guys have already been established, but they're not yet 30, not even close to 30, and these guys can come in and make a difference right now. Whereas... Los Angeles, obviously they're not making the playoffs this year. They might not even make the playoffs next year, depending on who they sign in the offseason. Um, and with them, it was just like, yeah, if we're going to pick up Isaiah Thomas for you guys, give us some talent back as well. So, I agree. All right, you guys, moving down the list. The Utah Jazz are the hottest team in the NBA right now. Utah? together an incredible 11-game win streak. Utah? The team's recent surge up the ranking is largely due to the emergence of rookie sensation Donovan Mitchell, who obviously at the start of the season wasn't even a thought as a viable rookie of the year candidate. My question to you guys, is Ben Simmons a lock for the award? Is Donovan Mitchell more deserving at this point in the season? Also, if we redo last year's draft, is Mitchell like the consensus number one? Well, knowing what we know now, <laughs> seeing Jason Tatum sort of regress over the last couple of weeks and Donovan Mitchell just getting better and better and better. Yes, yeah. I would probably say either him. But I feel like you're going to go with Ben Simmons still as a rookie of the year. Graphic. Well, he wasn't a draft pick <laughs> last year. So, I, I mean, again, if you go through the stats and I hate to do this, but what, I think there's only two stats right now, points per game and like three point percentage and where Donovan Mitchell's actually beating Ben Simmons. You look at literally any other stat from defensive uh, to efficiency to PER, anything, it all goes to Ben Simmons. Except for three-point shooting. That's what I said. So three-point shooting and scoring. (laughs) Three-point shooting and scoring are the only two, basically, that go to Donovan Mitchell. So, uh, again, like... Another point, Jazz are not in the playoffs currently. 76ers are. Like, that's a big debate for the MVP like, vote. Why is it not for yeah, the rookie of the year? Yeah, but if you, if you switch these guys on their teams, let's say. Let's say Mitchell's on Philly and Ben Simmons is on Utah. I honestly feel like Philadelphia would be a substantially better organization of Don and Mitchell. I completely disagree. Yeah, I don't think so. I think Ben I Simmons so. is just, again, he got a six triple-double last night, the most since magic in his rookie season. The guy does it all. And I think, again, having that swing type of player that can play so many different positions yeah. is so invaluable, especially to a coach when you're making rotations. You can just keep him out in the yeah, Donovan ben, Mitchell is a shooting I'm guard. A, I'm He's a, a two. Listen, yeah. I'm, I'm no, saying I, Ben Simmons is an absolutely phenomenal talented basketball player, but Ben Simmons his fit is dependent on the guys you put around him. And I think with Donovan Mitchell, him coming in, he's the kind of guy that you can kind of just fit into a, like a, a pre-existing team. Like I think with the Utah Jazz coming this season, there wasn't much expectation for them, specifically losing Gordon Hayward. And I think with the Philadelphia 76ers of the season, the expectation was, I won't say playoff or bust, but the expectations were pretty high considering you know, Joel Embiid coming pretty know, back far along and in the actually process. getting minutes. You know, Ben Simmons actually, you know, playing for once. You know, Markel Fultz, wouldn't play this year. But, like, the, the, the hype surrounding the team and just the, like what the Jazz have been able to do over the last 11 games is a testament to Quinn Snyder's coaching, but it's also a testament to Donovan Mitchell. It's a flip of a coin for me. I just don't think you can disclude Donovan Mitchell discussion or rookie of the year. Well, he's clearly number two. Yeah. They're clearly number one, number two this year. I'm like, more leading toward at the Mitchell break. with an 11-game win streak. Um, 
but I wouldn't like I I wouldn't say you're wrong for saying so the, the teams catching the up too. to the to the to the Seventy Sixers like because the Seventy Sixers did well early and now the Jazz are doing well in a win streak. You give it to I mean I get it I I know but they still so have like, Joe Ingles is, Joe Ingles is playing out of his mind this year like he's playing really well. They still have Rudy Gobert. I think he's which been shooting fifty five percent over the last ten games. They got Gobert back. It's interesting because the favorites Gobert like front court like on paper doesn't make much sense. It's two sort of big non floor spacing forward center respectively but I don't know it's worked out especially in the last week or so Ricky Rubio before he went down has been shooting the lights out uh, yeah, from you don't the have to remind line. me um, yeah, the, 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 the team could sneak in the playoffs uh, imagine Ben Simmons on the Jazz though like you, you were mentioning Donovan Mitchell Man. over there on the 76ers Ben Simmons on the Jazz to me puts them in a whole nother like again they're so young now with Gobert I mean they would be great yeah. I think Alrighty, moving down to the last topic at hand. Unfortunately, we won't have a gripe today because Greg isn't here. Uh, maybe Javon will, will uh, something will come to your mind later in the podcast. But uh, what is it? A gripe of the day? Yeah, yeah. No, you know what? We're uh, we'll do um, a little discussion on the 2018 NBA draft. Obviously, we're at the you know midpoint of the season with the uh, you know All Star Game coming up this weekend. So this is all speculation. You know, like, this isn't, like, concrete top five. You know, look at last year's draft. We all were in agreement on Mark Helfold's was a transcendent sort of, like, let's say once-in-a-generation talent, but, like, a, a going to be an incredible basketball player. No, I said he was a boss. Same sort of thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously we're talking about Donovan Mitchell emerging as the best player of the draft. Like, anything could happen. But this is our speculation. This is our prediction as to who is the top five best players right now coming into the draft. Uh, do you want to take first, or...? So how do you want to do it? Do you want to go? F- we'll do, let's go one through five. Let's I do think. one and one, two and two, three and three, four and four, five and five. No problem. So I, I know you have Marvin Bagley at number one. So I, <laughs> yeah, I do. I still do. Cause so I've been high on Marvin Bagley for a long time, mm-hmm. right? And again, this is a friggin' six eleven. Like he is a freak of nature. Right now, he's one of the only players, I think, in NCAA that's leading the all, I guess, the National League, all of NCAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's top 20 in points and rebounds. Like He's getting more rebounds per game than DeAndre Ayton is currently. And I know it's a, obviously a little bit more of a product of the system and stuff like that, but this is a guy who's been a five-star recruit ever since he's been born. Like I said, he's 6'11", 235. His body is ready. Right now he's listed as a power forward, but he could easily play small forward. Um, he could play center even in the NBA. I, I, I don't know. I've liked Bagley, I guess, for too long. And I know, I mean, you're calling out my pick. I'm calling out. I know you're going to pick DeAndre Ayton, and I think it's because of his body. But I, I, again, to me, it's just been this guy's been groomed to be here. And I saw him in the Drew League in the summer, Marvin Bagley. He played, I think it was either against or with DeMar- DeRozan's team. The guy is playing against NBA players this last summer and dominating the games. He no, it's great. Like, he, he's an incredibly Mark. athletic basketball player. He, Athleticism. He, like, that's I, the I, I would say comparatively to anyone else in this draft, he has by far the biggest upside. But I also think within like the guys who are locks like one through eight, he has the lowest floor in my opinion. Like if it doesn't go right for Bagley, like I don't think he could be a rotation guy in the NBA. But like like when we talk about like his pure raw talent and skill, Definitely Marvin Bagley's up there. For me personally, I view this draft very tiered. Like last year's draft, the obvious first tier was guys like Mark Fultz and Lonzo Ball, and just under them was like Jason Tatum and um, you know Josh Jackson, and under them was like Dennis Smith Jr.'s of the world, etc. 
In this draft, I think it's also tiered, but I think at the top tier, there's one guy and one guy only, and I've kind of come to this conclusion within the last week. The number one guy, bar none, no conversation about it for me personally, is Luka Doncic. I don't... I, I, Doncic is the best player on the most dominant team in the Spanish ACB, the be- second best league in the world, basically. He's a point-forward skill set, can shoot from anywhere on the court in a bully wings body. He has excellent court vision and instinct at his age. He's a strong multi-position defender who can switch off screens and could potentially guard one through four in his career. No, I see him as like Paul, a point forward Paul George. Like see, I, he's not quick. Like, huh? He's not that. He's not that quick. Man. No, he's, he, he's. I'm not saying he's a fast guy. Comparatively, he's probably one of the slower guys when it comes to his position. But I'm saying like his quickness, his, 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 his court IQ, his capability to facilitate the offense, and just like how sneaky athletic he is. I Luka Doncic is my number one guy. Obviously, Marvin Bagley's up there, and DeAndre Ayton up there as well. But for me, I'm gonna go with. See, you said that you thought Marvin Bagley is the one that has the lowest upside or the you know the biggest downside, I guess, in this draft. For me, it's Luka Doncic. How how can you say that though? Well, because he's not fat. Again, it's, it's the typical critique of most European players, but he won't be that good defensively. Like I, he's obviously going to be better than like a I don't like a Danilo Gallinari. He'll be better than that. Obviously, he's quicker. <laughs> But I don't think he'll be that much better. See, that's than like your like that. that's your lowest ceiling, your like bottom bottom ceiling. That's a good fucking basketball player. If your bottom lowest possible ceiling, like you just said, is Daniel Gallinari, then the kid is fucking fantastic. In this I, draft, on defense, I, with I, that I, many I stars, he, I don't think you want Daniel Gallinari as your first pick when potentially there's Shaquille yeah, you, O'Neal. You, you, and yeah, but like, you bring <laughs> up the Drew League, for example. Like this game where they're having this pickup game on the core. Maybe it's a little more structured than most pickup games. The guy led Slovenia of a, like a population of like 1.5 million to the FIBA championship and won the championship as an 18-year-old with Goran Dragic. He was a dominating against like you know like in actual games, not these like street games against like professional you know like veteran players. I just love Luka Doncic. I think we can agree to disagree. I think you're. Uh, I think I'm a little bit bigger on Bag than you are of Doncic, respectively. But I think Luka Doncic is my number one guy. It's just his quickness. That, that's, I just. I I don't I just think it's the typical flaw of European players is the lack of defensive ability I guess it's not awareness mm-hmm. like you said it's not you know that they don't want to be good defensively I just think that the European game as well like playing there is not going to help his American game either if anything it's going to sort of hurt it because they're so offensive and they don't really play as much defense they're less aggressive there I think if anything he's going to have the biggest learning curve when he comes to the NBA because of the sort of aggressiveness and and again his his, his body is ready but as a 6-7 shooting guard that is not that quick that's not a number one pick to me in a draft where there's I potentially think, five superstars. I think come, I think out of Jovan? all these guys in the draft, he is the Amen. most readily like readily finished product, I guess. You could say. If we go by what Chris Barr said, hit the three and play a little bit of D, I think he's perfect. <laughs> Alrighty, I guess we'll we'll do like a snake. So I'll go into my second right here. My number two is Trey Young. Um, you know, paying heed to the kind of evolution of the modern game, like Trey Young is your ideal point guard. You know, his ability to stretch the floor and collapse defenses, as well as the fact he will most certainly command a double team on the perimeter, will just make everyone great around him. The guy's averaging like what twenty nine and nine and a half assists per game right now. Um, like he's putting together another insane stat line in college, like similar to Steph Curry season at Davidson. And teams really don't want to miss the next death. And he has obvious physical limitations, but he isn't like this isn't like the early two thousands iteration of like bully ball. You know, he's already more accomplished playmaker than a lot of point guards in the NBA. And he's not necessarily a project. Like he's a guy who's gonna come in and be a starting point guard right off the bat. And I just don't think teams are like I just don't think you can like like twenty nine nine, man. Like it just he's dominating college basketball right now. I know there's like these bigs with a lot of upside. There's so many 
you, like you can put Bamba up there. You can put you know DeAndre Aiden. You can put Bagley up there. But Trey Young is my lock at two. Number two. I mean, I I can't hate against Trey Young. I, I I don't know where I put him honestly in my in my thing. But for me, number two would be Michael Porter Jr. And again, it's obviously unfortunate about the injury. But man, this guy was a, like a lock for number one last year or the year before that. Or both years before that. He's he's a very, very, very good scorer. He's like potentially a Kevin Durant. I don't, I don't know what his player comp is. Mm-hmm. But the dude can do everything. He's got all the physical tools as well. Uh, he's, I think, 6'10". He plays small forward. Again, he had a big injury this year, so it might push his draft stock sort of down a little bit. So it might be good for a team. Maybe he'll be back relatively soon. Apparently, um, like in the rehab process, it's been a lot speedier than people expected. Okay. Well, I mean, again, I, I know him from, I guess, before this season, obviously, watching him a lot in the, the tapes before this year. But he'd be my number two. Uh, big men for me are scary drafting big men like DeAndre and a little bit higher than that. And that's, that, that's why I'm so sorry. Trey Young's like... also so, like, yeah, he's great. And I love Trey Young. He's my next pick. But I, I don't know if I could pick him above Michael Porter Jr. There's too many intangibles there that I, don't, I wouldn't want to pass So you got, you got, sorry, Michael Porter going second. second and, and then you bag. got Trey Young going third. Yep. My th- number three for me is Andre Aiden. Um, you know, I view him as like a potential transcendent once in generation talent who has all the physical tools you want in like a modern day big, you know, obviously size, strength, quickness. And, but at his age, he can shoot the ball from basically anywhere on the court. You know what I mean? That's a 250 pound seven foot one center. And I do believe he's a project. Like I honestly think it will take him some time to actually become, you know, the, the player people envision him to be. However, like, like he, he just, he, he, He's a like he could potentially be the best center in the modern era. That's what I'm basically trying to get at, you know. And I think the biggest issue with him is his lax play on defense. You know, he doesn't really um, he's no really slow to get back in transition. His compete level on the other side of the ball is kind of a massive cause for concern. But the question isn't his skill sets, desire to be one of the best centers on a nightly basis. That's kind of what my sort of like negative view would be, like his compete level, like his desire to be the best of the best. Because I think he could potentially be the best center in the NBA. Including Joel Embiid and Marcus Cousins. That's yeah, my number three. I mean, he's my number four. So uh, he's my next pick. So yeah, I agree with you. Actually, I guess you have your pick. Whatever, doesn't matter. We're going back and forth. He's my number four, uh, DeAndre. And yeah, like I said, I've 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 also been sort of high on him. I, I'm a firm believer that this draft's going to have a lot of good players. I've mm-hmm. mentioned it not too long ago, but I think there's a lot. I mean, Mohamed Bamba for me is just not big enough yet. He's he's fluid and he looks good. Um, but if you're Texas. drafting like peerless on the upside of defense, like I can't put him in my top five. That's why I'm sort of my number four. Maybe like a Rudy Gobert. It's just gonna be kind of like a curveball, I guess. But it's Jaron Jackson Jr. He's number two right now in draft. The Michigan Express. State, like he's just as ready as you can get when it comes to like a big physical forward. He's truly competent in all facets of the game. He's a strong low post defender with the quickness to guard, you know, stretchy bigs on the perimeter. He can shoot the three efficiently. He can play face up or post up. He's a complete package, basically. His ceiling's obviously lower than the big three, like big three in the draft. Like we're talking about, like Aiden, Bamba, and uh, I'm Bagley. But like worst case scenario, he's like a rotation fringe starter. I see like a lot of Rashid Walls from this kid. He's a really safe bet. Um, I think this draft, like you have like you know Aiden's upside on the offensive side of the ball, you have Bemba's upside defensive side of the ball, and you have Bagley's upside just being you know the best player in the draft potentially. But I just think when it comes to a safe bet, a guy that can come in game one and be a member of your rotation and who will develop into a competent NBA player, that's Jaron Jackson Jr. for me. 
he's interesting because he's got, he started off the year I think in the draft boards at like number ten or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think Miles Bridges, his teammate, was above was above well, it's like him it's, before it's, the year it's started. It's a valuable guys like you can just like like play defense, shoot the three, play face up, post up. Like Wendell Carter, for example, is a guy that comes to mind as well. Like he's obviously not in my top five, but he's another great big. And I don't think like Wendell Carter from DeAndre Aiden's that far separated, in my opinion, at least. My number five guy we've talked about already is Michael Porter Jr. You know, he's missed the majority of the season doing ailing back. We've talked about this already, already, but he's a massive athletic wing who has the ability to put the ball in the basket at virtually anywhere on the court, especially at the dribble. And that's incredibly rare to see in the NBA. And similar to you know Jackson, you know, he's a player who's polished his point in his career, and he seems destined for NBA stardom. Like you can obviously say his ball handling is not up the snub for uh, being a professional media player or defensively he still hasn't gotten it together but like he's just a score and there's very few scores like that in the draft um, it's him or Bagley for my five like it's a f- again another coin toss so Bagley doesn't make your top five I just my, my fear That's crazy see, my, my fear of Bagley is that like he, he, he just doesn't really have one definable skill set quite yet he, he's an alright three point shooter my fear for him is that he doesn't have the size. Will he ever have the frame to be like a really competent low post defender or even play in the low post? I don't think he'll ever have a good enough shot to become a three. I see a lot of like Michael Beasley comps. Like, I feel like he's their very similar skill sets when they're in college. Like, they were very, like, you know, the, the numbers were obviously there, the skill set were there, but it's just a matter of putting everything together, especially in the NBA. I, I, I just, I don't know, like, I like Bagley. I just don't think I'd put him in my top five quite yet. It could change throughout the season. We mentioned before the podcast, you know, this is an ever-evolving uh, a list. I just, if, Bagley's not my top five. If anything, I guess the one comparison, to, if you're going to compare this year's draft almost to last year's, is kind of like a Josh Jackson. Right, like that's kind of yeah, like Bagley, yeah. where he's very athletic. He did very well in school because of it, but I don't know. So again, so my going back to the thing, I'd put Doncic as my six, as my five. Sorry, mm-hmm. but if I had to pick a sixth, and this is, I guess I'm sort of my sleeper pick off the board. I'm picking Gary Trent Jr. out of Duke. Like this guy is unbelievable. He's the highest three point shooting uh, rate, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure in the NCAA right now. He's a fre- he's the only freshman on the board who has that. Gary Trent Jr., look out for this guy from Duke. He's a 6'6 shooting guard. He can shoot better than anyone. His defense is unbelievable. Talk about like a really, really a high upside type of player who's, again, a freshman. He will be taken, I think, this year in the top 10, even though I think on most— You think Trent's going to be a top 10? I think in most draft boards right now, he's not there. I'm not, I'm I not do, disputing the talent. Like, I absolutely I do love think Trent. I just picks. don't—I'm— I'm, I don't know, like... I, I do think he'll be picked. Again, like, for me, like, someone like Colin Sexton, who obviously got a lot of attention early on in the year because of the three players mm-hmm. and all that stuff, like, he's been playing well, but if, you, if you're going to come down to sort of him or, like, Mikel Bridges, for instance, I, I'm taking Gary Trent Jr. all day long. I, just, I like Bridges on Michigan just only for the fact, like, he just... Well, Mikel on, on Villanova. On Villanova, sorry. Miles Bridges on Michigan. I like him as well. Like, I could see him a, being Anthony Bennett. I could see him just not... Doing well in the NBA, he's he like just, an undersized like, big. Well, it's like wow. the the upside of like a three and D. I think is what will you know. But like you're right, like I take Trent over. I mean, both Ma- Bridges, honestly. Miles Miles Bridges is six seven two thirty. You know, that's an undersized heavy. You're player. getting an Anthony Bennett, or you're getting a Draymond Green. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Jovan, how about you? Uh, any thoughts on the uh, on on this year's mock draft? Or, or so I'll be honest with you guys, I haven't paid too much attention to uh, college basketball as much. Just been focusing on my team. But obviously, you know, I, I like to follow my my CanCon, my Canadian content. Yeah. And uh, you know, the one guy, obviously, who uh, 
is going to be our, our, our CanCon representative in this year's draft, Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, playing for University of Kentucky. Um, projected you know, to go 13th. Projected to go 13th. I have him here at 12th, but whatever, 13, 12, it's all good. Uh, six, six point guard. Lots of size. Uh, reminds me of a DeLon Wright. Um, Freshman, I, too. Exactly, right? So uh, another one-and-done player from Canada. Uh, I feel like right now he is projected to go to, I think it's Utah. Is it Utah? Oh, man, Utah's just getting good. They're now they're going to get another sleeper pick later on in the draft Amen. after Donovan Mitchell. Push Donovan Mitchell to the two-guard. Let's uh, run the show. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know, going back to our draft, like, talk about Trey Young for a sec. Like, <laughs> I just think Trey Young is the best point guard coming out of college since Kyrie Irving. Like, is that fair for me to say? Uh, I mean, Kyrie Irving never really, really played like 12 college. Games like, I was going to say, like, <laughs> that happen, it's hard to say. If anything, he's yeah, he's the best. I'd say freshman point guard to play. And I don't know comps. Like, honestly, like no one else is averaging yeah. near thirty and, and eleven. So, I was listening to the Ringer and NBA uh, the first year. They had a draft yeah. podcast. And I think Jonathan Charts, who's a fantastic writer, but unfortunately compared Luka Doncic to Larry Bird, which I thought was a little bit of like the Paul George comparison makes more sense to me. But Larry maybe, Bird's but Larry Bird bit. wouldn't be as good in this year's NBA in this modern day like, NBA. Like if Luka Doncic <laughs> was playing in NCAA Division One right now, like how like how good would he be right now? Like do you think he'd like I think he'd be the most dominant guy at the collegiate level? Who? Luka. Luka Doncic. The most dominant? Oh, absolutely. No, I don't think so at all. DeAndre Ayton's the most dominant because he's just a physical specimen and it's college, so he can just do whatever he wants out there. He can get 25 points in 25 minutes easily, but I, I think Luka, again, it's speed, man. The ball's zipping around in this, this modern-day NBA. People are shooting threes, and all of his, all it takes is a coach getting a little bit frustrated with him in his defense, and that becomes all of a sudden a focal point as opposed to the offense, and all of a sudden his minutes can start going down. Like Again, for me, he has the biggest bust potential. I know you love Doncic. All right, you guys, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Greg, um, who has been a massive asset to us throughout the last couple months or so, will be back next week. Javon will also be back hopefully next week. or Yeah, there we I go. I think so. All right, you guys, thank you very much for listening. Again, you can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, etc. Uh, write us a review. Give us your thoughts on the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Peace. See you. Peace.